The chapter and the clinic relationship is the basis. It's so it's so important. Hey everyone and welcome to Connecting ALS. My name is Mike Stevenson and I'm here with my co-host Jeremy Holden and Jeremy can you believe it? We are down to single digits in terms of days remaining in the year 2020. Yeah, it's been quite a year and amazing to think that here we are at the end of 2020. And one of the things, Mike, you and I have talked about in recent weeks is, you know, that COVID vaccine. And just in the last week, the FDA approving a second vaccine for COVID from Moderna and you know, fitting, I think, that we, here we are at the end of the year and as we prepare to turn the calendar over to 2021, potentially turning a page into a new chapter in the COVID pandemic. Absolutely. It has been such a difficult, exhausting, and genuinely tragic year that will forever be tied to the pandemic, which of course is still having a massive impact in much of the world. And as you said, we're, we're by no means out of the woods yet, but that vaccine is starting to roll out and most of us are hoping for a much brighter 2021. And, you know, like we heard uh, just over the weekend, the FDA uh, came out with some new guidance on kind of the second wave of folks that will be prioritized uh, as these vaccines are distributed. You know, a lot of questions remain as to when and, and how people with ALS and people with other high-risk uh, health conditions are going to be prioritized. The ALS Association is keeping on top of that. Be sure to check in on the hub for the latest information there. Like I had a chance to talk to Dr. Lou Libby, uh, who's been a guest on this show in the past, uh, about what he's hearing from patients, what he's advising people, and, and his thoughts on the need to make sure that people with ALS get access to the vaccine as quickly as possible. Let's take a quick listen to that. I strongly encourage everyone to get it when they can. The next question is, when can they get it? And that has not been well defined. In my opinion, and I think the opinion of the ALS Association and the uh, neurologists I speak to, all ALS patients should be considered high risk. And so they should go in that second category. The first category in most states, and this is all state determined, but most states' first category is healthcare workers, frontline healthcare workers, and nursing home residents and staff. Second group is high-risk individuals and uh, older individuals, whether that's over 70 or 75. And I consider ALS to be a high-risk condition, but the CDC has not included it by definition as a high-risk condition. I think they're going to assume that neurodegenerative is a high-risk and ALS will fit under that. The highest risk of the ALS patients are anyone with any respiratory compromise. That's anyone who's on an AVAPS machine or a Trilogy or has been told their breathing capacity is under 80% of predicted. Those are all high risk, high risk in my opinion. In spite of the challenges faced this year, the ALS community did not stop advocating and has still raised a ton of awareness and research funding, a testament to their commitment to this cause. And here on the show, we've been recapping some of the wins for the year. We've discussed research and advocacy thus far. And today, we're taking a look back at the year in care services with the ALS Association's Leslie Ryan and Lori Banker-Horner and Jeremy. A lot of good things to, to say about care services in this challenging year. Yeah, w without question. And I, you know, I think you think of the, the 
folks listening at home and the, their touch points, whether it's at the chapter level, at the clinic site, uh, and the need to continue providing care. And I think Lori and Leslie uh, walk us through the ways that those care services folks adapted, adjusted, embraced some of the technological opportunities available to continue providing the best possible care to people uh, with ALS, uh, despite everything that was going on in the world around us. Couldn't have said it better myself. Let's listen back to that conversation with Leslie and Lori now. We're excited to be on the phone this morning with Leslie Ryan, the ALS Association's Director of Education and Professional Development Programs. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for being with us on Connecting ALS. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to, to having you on, uh, as well as your colleague, uh, Lori Banker-Horner, as we look back at the year in care services at the ALS Association. And goes without saying, it has been quite a year with the pandemic uh, impacting so much of the world and obviously so much of the work that goes on at the ALS Association. Starting from that point and thinking all the way back to March, which actually feels like uh, five years ago now at this point, the way that time is passing, what can you tell us about how you and your colleagues reacted in that moment and the sort of adjustments that were made to care services at the ALS Association when the pandemic began? You know, I think that first and foremost, I'm really proud of the way that we reacted to this pandemic. And like everyone in the world, none of us knew that if if this was going to be a two-week thing or a two-year thing. And I don't think any of us expected to um, really permanently change the way that we provide services to the ALS community. So, so much of what our chapters and our clinics do is in person. And so, you know, the most obvious answer from when this first hit was COVID just eliminated an entire method of service delivery for our chapter staff, especially. And everything that we were used to doing had to be restructured and delivered in a virtual environment. And again, it was, are we doing a Band-Aid fix or are we doing something we've got to settle into? And I think over time, we figured out we had to settle in and really Mm -hmm. adjust to this. So I think that was the initial reaction was stop and and rethink how we could deliver everything that we do. Sure. How much of of the the delivery of care was able to be transitioned to a virtual world? Uh, certainly, there were, were some things that uh, you know. I'm thinking of the clinical conference, for example. This this was the year where the clinical conference was going to happen. Um, what? So, I guess just taking a step back, what were you able to move to a virtual world, uh, and and what uh, maybe? had to see other creative fixes? That's a great question. So yes, our clinical conference, you know, a time for ALS professionals to come together and learn best practices and research updates and network and um, just gather together, we had to cancel. And so trying to figure out ways that we could provide education to that community meant that we had to develop a 
platform for CEU courses and still get the information out from the people who are willing to present. And, and so that's something that's in development and we were able to pivot. That one took a little longer. There were some faster pivots, things like how do we help our ALS community limiting the impact of COVID-19. We wanted to keep our patients and our caregivers as safe as possible and as educated as we could about this disease with at the beginning, when COVID-19 first hit, it was there was so much unknown. And so we had to stop also a lot of things that we were doing, other educational programs and things that were in development, had to put pause on them so that we could really work on educating our community around COVID-19 and how to keep, again, families safe from this virus that would impact their respiratory function. And respiratory function is something that is critical with our ALS patients. And so we wanted to keep them healthy. But things on a local level, things like support groups and symposiums and even meeting with families or doing home safety evals, all of that was able to be translated into a virtual environment. And we really saw some great things come out of that. We saw people who maybe live in really remote areas or are too sick to travel. They were able to start attending support groups now from the comfort of their home. And they were able to connect with other people living with ALS across the country. We had people attending educational symposiums that maybe were held virtually in Maine, but the um, person living with ALS in Florida was joining in. And, you know, so it opened up the world, I think, a little bit as well for our community and for our chapters to be able to say, here's what we're doing. And while nothing will ever take the place of those one-on-one meetings or in-person meetings with families who are diagnosed with ALS for our care services staff, they were still able to meet with them either over the phone or over Zoom. And so, still able to connect and looked a little different, but still able to provide the services and really meet the needs of the people that we serve. And that's the end goal. And so that was pretty exciting. It is very exciting. And it's it's comforting to hear that some of those changes were able to be made and that families were still able to have those interactions, albeit virtually. And, and along those lines, Leslie, do you expect that some of that, the use of technology and those virtual environments and support groups, that sort of thing will be carried forward, uh, you know, be it in a hybrid environment in the months and years ahead, or will that be kind of a standard offering of the ALS Association to say, if you are in a location that prevents you from attending a support group in person, or you are unable to travel uh, due to, you know, elements related to your disease, we are going to offer this uh, in a virtual way. I do think so. I think that we'll continue to integrate technology in ways that will really enhance what we do for the community. I don't think it will totally replace it. Again, there's a lot of value to gathering in person, as we all know, right, in so many aspects of our lives. But I do think that, you know, it will be a hybrid kind of model moving forward. And one of the benefits of this pandemic is it's taught us to be more comfortable with technology. It has forced us all to turn on our cameras and connect with each other in a virtual way that maybe we weren't so comfortable with before or we didn't understand before. And now we 
We know that it's been demystified. And I think that opens up a whole new world for us. And it helps us work a little smarter as well as an organization, making some of those decisions for how we deliver the services that we provide. But it also really helps, like we've said, the people who, for whatever reason, can't attend in person. And so that to me is really exciting. It's clear that the work continued. You know, one of the things that Colony Balas said, the CEO of the ALS Association said at the outset of the pandemic is that ALS isn't going to stop and, and our work will not either. What are what were some of the, the I guess, greatest hits from the care services perspective in 2020 as you reflect back on, on this year? I think... One of the greatest hits is all is what we've just talked about, right? Being able to continue to meet our families where they're at and and all of our programs continued on. They looked a little different, but all of our programs continued on. So we continued to be able to provide equipment to families in need. We continued to be able to provide support groups. We continued to be able to provide resource and referral services, home safety evals, care management. Uh, we continued to participate in clinic, as Lori's talked about. We, we continued everything we did. That is a huge accomplishment. You know, so to mm-hmm. me, that's a huge win. But another win has been that as we have connected in this more virtual world and again, become more comfortable with it, I think that um, I've seen an increase in collaboration amongst the chapter network from a care services perspective. Um, We now come together every month and um, we share ideas and we offer each other support and we really have built this community that works together to forward our mission and learn from each other's mistakes and successes and help each other through this. And I think it really built a strong community of care services staff across the country, which then leads to better support for our ALS families moving forward. And so that is another very big win of 2020. Certainly things to celebrate despite the the difficult circumstances of the year. And looking forward, Leslie, at 2021, thinking about uh, how that will go. And I know everyone is hopeful uh, that this next year is going to be better. It has to be, really. Uh, But as the vaccine rolls out and we're able to return to a a service delivery model that is more of the norm from the ALS Association while integrating some of those new elements that we've been talking about here, are there... uh, new initiatives on the care services side that you're looking forward to rolling out or things that have been on the docket that were maybe put on hold that you're going to be able to to put into place next year? Yes. So I'm really looking forward to integrating what we've learned into how we do business moving forward. I think technology plays a big part in helping us work smarter. And we have identified gaps. One of the most obvious is people living with ALS who aren't able to access technology or connection. Mm. And um, we're, we're really excited to find solutions to fill in those gaps. And that's something that the community can look to us for in the coming year. And I really... Look forward to working alongside our mission partners in advocacy and research to continue to make ALS a livable disease. And we're excited for some things that are coming out that were put on hold. The CEU education for professionals 
is coming at the first of the year. We've got some videos and information on respiratory care management, again, that was put on hold and that's about to launch. So some exciting things coming as well. And then just really seeing the needs of our community and how we continue to identify those and, and solve those problems. Yeah, very exciting things coming down the pike. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, hate to put you on the spot, but we uh, hope you'll come back when some of those things go live and uh, we can uh, walk our listeners through what's new and exciting uh, as 2021 unfolds. I would love to. Yeah, thanks so much for your time uh, today, Leslie. Uh, I know that our listeners appreciate hearing about what's happening on your side of the ALS Association. And all of them, uh, as well as us, are looking forward to a, a new and a different 2021. Same here. Thank you so much for having me. We're fortunate to be on the phone today with Lori Vankerhorner, the ALS Association's Director of Clinical Programs. Hello, Lori, and thanks for joining us on Connecting ALS. Hello, it's great to be here. We've been looking forward to talking to you as we go back on this series where we look back at the year that was at the ALS Association and within the ALS community. Needless to say, uh, this was a year unlike any other. So let's start uh, with what was an enormous wrench in care delivery plans for 2020, COVID-19. When the pandemic began back in March in the United States, Lori, what were some of the initial considerations and changes that you and the team were forced to make? Well, like you said, it was a year like no other, and it just stopped so abruptly. As a director of clinical programs, one of my main responsibilities is working with our center network. We have certified centers of excellence, treatment centers of excellence, and recognized treatment centers. And we have 73 certified centers and 22 recognized centers, and all of them had to just pivot. Um, you know, there was no in-person visits. Uh, they had to figure out, you know, how to how to maintain treatment and care for those living with ALS. And it was it was quite quite. Uh, I guess I would use the word amazing to watch mm. these centers do that and and how they did that. Yeah, and, and Lori, one of the things that we've talked about a bit on this show is uh, particularly in, in light of the pandemic and some of the responses to it has been the expanded access of, of telehealth. Uh, one of the early legislative changes or administrative changes, I suppose, did expand access to that. Uh, how did that uh, impact the ability to transition uh, the delivery of care? That changed everything. In the beginning, it was sort of unknown what, you know, what the laws were going to be. And it took a little bit, but not that long, which thankfully not, to enable these clinics to be able to provide care and have that funded, uh, whereas before it was not. And so these clinics, some had the infrastructure already that they could pivot pretty quickly, um, and some did not, but they, they rose to the challenge and really amazingly so. And uh, so the, they basically provided all care uh, f- through telemedicine, telehealth, um, including their clinic, their full clinic team. It may have looked different clinic to clinic based on what they were able to do. But no, uh, to answer your question, that that made all the difference in the world. And I, I think it will make a difference going forward. Have you, uh, related to that, Lori, have you heard from those in the ALS community 
kind of about that transition and, and got some of their feedback about their experience with telehealth and things maybe they liked and didn't like that that may you know speak to the future of the technology? Yes, um, I've heard kind of indi- individually from uh, different uh, from medical directors or from our our chapter liaisons or our other team members. It was a godsend, but it was not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were difficulties. You know, some not everybody has the technology, and not everybody's comfortable with it. One of the hardest things, you know, when you hear a medical director talking about how do you diagnose somebody uh, with ALS with over virtually not being there in person. Right. Um, that was, that was really tough. And that was something that not anybody was comfortable with doing. You, you, you want to be there to be able to talk to, to the patient and the family um, and other testing, um, you know, certain respiratory testing, strength testing, um, swallowing, that sort of thing was very difficult to do virtually, but you know, amazingly so. I keep saying amazing, but it, mm-hmm. it truly is. You know, the innovation and the, the how how they learned to try different uh, ways, techniques to um, get the information that they needed to to be able to continue to provide the care and get the information so could, they could provide the best care uh, for mm-hmm. the patient. There and also not everybody, not every patient was interested in a virtual visit. And and that was a struggle as well. So it was on both sides of the computer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an excellent point, Lori. It strikes me that telehealth is, is not a panacea. It's a, it's a tool that can help expand the playing field and expand the kind of geography of how care is delivered. Uh, another way that happens is, of course, expanding the clinical network. Uh, what were some of the challenges uh, that you faced in that, that that the association faced in that world of trying to bring new centers, get new centers certified, and and expand the map in that way? That was truly and continues to be difficult. You know, we were right, we were moving forward up until March, and um, had some really strong centers um, uh, certified or recognized and had some centers in the queue at the time COVID hit for the last um, stage of their designation. So we continue, we're, we're looking forward, we're in conversations about how this could look, how can we continue moving forward? Because again, even though that there's a vaccine out there, we know this is going to be a period of time and we've had travel restrictions in place, you know, institutions have their restrictions in place. So we've we've not been able to certify new centers, but we continue to work with the centers. We continue to talk with the centers. We continue to get new centers that are interested. So these are things that we're working through right now that we don't have some definite answers, but we need to keep that communication going and um, and sort of look to the future as to how how we can move forward. But we're still very active in the program. Sure. And I, I do want to ask you, uh, we want to ask you a little bit more about kind of 2021 and the plan going forward, Lori. But let me first ask a question that we're hearing a lot uh, kind of at the chapter level about mental health services. And given the increased physical isolation that those living with ALS and their families and caregivers have experienced during the pandemic, while already living with a disease that can result in feeling isolated, have you and your colleagues 
seen a, a steady rise in requests for mental health services, or has that not come about yet? I think, I mean, you're exactly right. This is, you know, especially in uh, in caregiving, um, mm-hmm. caregivers truly need that support. And it, it's more important now than ever because, because of COVID. Um, I think all of us already feel a sense of isolation, but if you were caring for somebody with ALS and maybe depending upon another outside caregiver that maybe you don't have anymore, that we're seeing, you know, the, the importance of, of uh, the social work component and that that is really key too with the clinic teams and that social worker, if they're seeing people virtually, talking to people, um, the support group, many times we've heard from chapters that the support group attendance has increased. Mm. They're looking at other ways to support caregivers and patients. I think mental health in general, is it's an issue in COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a definite issue. You, you alluded to that queue of centers that uh, is is there waiting for 2021, uh, like like most of us. And and just want to bounce off what Mike said uh, a few moments ago, and 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 do that look ahead. Uh, what has you kind of excited about 2021? What's in store as we turn the calendars over in, in a few short weeks? I think number one, I'm just excited. It's going to be 2021. <laughs> we will not have to say 2020. Sure. Um, I'm excited. I feel really positive. I'm excited to get back into the clinics to work with our clinic teams personally. That that is so key, and also to to bring more centers into the network as as we're able to. But also to see how the technology, how how the lessons we've learned from COVID, and the technology integrate into the future and you know, taking those lessons and, and it's not going to be the same. It's definitely not going to be the same. I think there's some really important things that we've learned in technology may increase access to care because that was one thing we were really concerned about. And I'm anxious to see, you know, what um, uh, the future of telemedicine and, and funding for that uh, insurance mm-hmm. coverage, et cetera, is going to be, and how we can work within that. What have the clinics learned and um, gleaning, you know, not going backward, moving forward, you know, the clinic of the future. And uh, so I think this is a new day. You know, it's a time of moving forward and um, we're all in. Lori, as you're talking about these clinical teams and uh, kind of how they've had to adjust and, and innovate during the pandemic, I know how key it is to have chapter liaisons in those clinics working with the people in their service area to be that point of contact with the ALS Association. What sort of conversations have you had with those chapter representatives about how things are going in their region and kind of what's being done? Well, like you said, that's a that's a really key position on the clinic team. The chapter and the clinic relationship is the basis. It's so it's so important. And mm. the chapter liaison is that person that's not only in clinic integrating with the team, but they're that person outside who connects and continues to meet with the uh, patient and the family in between those clinic visits. And uh, conversations that I've had with some chapter liaisons and also clinics is how difficult it is that they're not able to be in the clinic. You know, mm-hmm. that person-to-person contact, those, that relationship building is so important. And, and it's really 
something to hear how hard it is on that chapter liaison to not be there and also how valuable they are to that clinic team and how how much they both want you know, things to move forward and for the chapter liaison to be back into clinic. But mm. what's what's really beneficial and what's been great is they've been able to integrate virtually. So they're not gone, they're still there. And it may look different clinic to clinic, but they're still very much involved and, and an important piece. It's great to hear that the chapter and the ALS Association is doing everything they can to make it work. And I know this uh, this year has been so hard on families living with ALS and they've had to make changes and, and adjustments to how the care is delivered. But it's encouraging to hear that the association is doing everything they can to try and make that experience as beneficial as possible for all. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Lori, and the information on the critically important delivery of care services at the ALS Association. Really valuable to hear uh, your input. Oh, this has been a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Well, Mike, that's three pillars of the ALS Association mission that we've been able to reflect back on in the past couple of weeks, uh, an update on the research side of things, an update on some of the big public policy fights and wins and where we go from here and now, uh, and the delivery of care. Uh, fascinating look back from Leslie and Lori. I want to thank them once again for their time and insight. It was good to hear from them. That is our show for the week. We hope everyone has a safe and peaceful time. If you've got some time off this time, of year. Next week, tune in to hear one of our favorite episodes from 2020, and we look forward to bringing you interesting new content in 2021 after the calendar turns over. Be sure to subscribe to the show at connectingals.org or wherever you get your podcast. If you could leave us a review on your favorite service, that would be great as well. It helps others discover Connecting ALS. And you can follow us on social media at Facebook and Twitter. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening, and we'll connect with you again very soon. Thank you.